God higher than him. You know, James says, you believe in one God, you do well. The demons in hell believe and they tremble, don't they? To the great I am. If you have your Bibles with you today, please turn to 1 John. We're back there today. And today we're going to be touching on a little bit on the judgment seat of Christ and what it means to the believer. So in my research, I ran across this little story and thought you might like it. At the end of the age, it says, when all believers were standing in line waiting to get into heaven, the angel Gabriel appeared and said, I want all the men to form two lines. One line will be for the men who were the true heads of their households. The other will be for the men who were dominated by their wives. And Gabriel continued, and now we need all of the women to report to Mary and Martha on the other side of the gate. The women left while the men hurriedly formed two lines. The line of the men who were dominated by their wives was seemingly unending. The line of men who were the true head of their household had just one man standing in it. And Gabriel said to the first line, You men ought to be ashamed of yourselves. You were appointed to be the heads of your households, and you have not fulfilled your purpose. Of all of you, there is only one man who obeyed. And then Gabriel turned to the lone man and asked, How did you come to be in this line, sir? And the man answered, My wife told me to stand here. I don't mean to be sexist or anything, but I thought it was funny. If you didn't, I'm sorry, we don't have the same sense of humor. We're back in the book of 1 John. And 1 John wrote five books or John, first John. John wrote five books of the New Testament and was the apostle whom Jesus loved. This letter was written between AD 85 and AD 100, and it was written to churches that were in crisis of false teachers. And he also wrote 2nd and 3rd John to follow up on this. Today we're in 1 John chapter 4 verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, I just thank you for today, and I thank you that you are the great I am. You are the true God. You are the one that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord of lords to your glory. And Lord, we thank you that we do it now because you have given us your Holy Spirit You have regenerated us. You have made us new in your eyes and justified by our faith that even you supplied for us. And it all comes down to you, God, to whatever you want, to whatever you desire. Oh, God, have mercy on us who are sinners. And thank you, Lord, that we may rejoice in the throne room of grace where we may obtain mercy. Oh God, go before us, prepare our way, make our crooked path straight. Help us, Lord, 
that when we leave this place, we leave changed by you, Holy Spirit, that you would make us new, that you would fill us, that you would give us the words we should say in the moment that we should say them. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to lead people to you, to a saving knowledge. We give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Christians have no need to fear God's judgment. However, Christians are to test ourselves regularly to make sure that we are walking in His love. Do not fear judgment. That's the first thing today. Do not fear judgment in that day. 1 John 4, 17, we're going to look at that as our main text for this moment. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Woo! Boldness. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Judgment, folks, is something that can be used to both motivate and alienate people, especially in regards to God's judgment. We don't like to hear that we are sinners accountable before a holy God. Judgment is a reality that each and every person in this room or listening by podcast must deal with on this planet. We are born in sin and dead in our trespasses before a holy God. His attribute of justice must be fulfilled. Every other religion on this planet talks about judgment and does so when talking about what we must do to be saved from it. You see, the sin problem is so inherent in man that man recognizes it immediately. Whether or not they admit it or not doesn't matter. Each person has to decide what they're going to do with it. To the atheist, they try to ignore it. But when a plane is going down, do they call out, oh, nothing? No, they call out, oh, God. Never heard anybody call out nothing. Of course, I wouldn't know because I've never been in a plane crash. But Anyway... You can't ignore God's judgment. To the rest of the religions on earth, it's, it's trying to make up for it, even though we can't do it. You see, you and I are finite beings, and we have sinned in front of an infinite God. We have a beginning and an end. He has no beginning or end. So how can something which is so finite make up for disobedience before something that is not finite, before an infinite, holy God, guess what? You can't. It is not possible for you to do it. Romans 7.1 says, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Jump down to verse 7. It says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. 
Now we do not know how far apart from God's holiness, from God's power, from who God is, that we really are. And that is the deception of sin. It will blind your eyes even unto God's holiness. That is, unless we're shown what the Bible has to say about sin and responsibility to holiness before our God. So without the law, God's word, how could we possibly know how bad we are before a holy God, before God's eyes? How could we know? We can't. Not without the word. Does that make God's word bad for us? Well, no, it doesn't, because God shows his attributes to us through his word. And if we didn't have the Bible, then guess what? We would instinctively know right from wrong. Even if you didn't have the Bible, you know that murder is wrong. Unless you're so hardened to sin that nothing is wrong for you anymore. Notice I said, anymore. For at one point, even the hardest of hearts knows that murder is wrong. And so it is with every other sin. This is called God's general revelation. In the Bible, we call God's special revelation or specific revelation. So we know we have this problem with sin, every one of us, from the smallest of us to the oldest of us. We know we have a problem with sin deep down. And those of us know here that it is Jesus who takes care of that problem. It is Jesus who is the answer. Jesus didn't say, hey, work this formula and you'll be all right. He didn't say, do your best and your God and your own goodwill and, and whatever you do good will outweigh your bad. He didn't say that. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. He died on our behalf, taking all of God's judgment and fulfilling God's justice for our sin. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 19.30 says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. You know, that portion there that says, It is finished, is an interesting portion. It is one word in the Greek, and in that remarkable word, in that ancient Greek language, it is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Now, this word that we translate, it is finished, could be also translated another way. And it could be translated, paid in full. It is paid in full. You see, when you take, took out a loan at that time from a merchant, and you paid it back, that merchant would write on the bottom of your certificate of debt, to Telestai, it is paid in full. It is finished. This one word has had books written about it, so I won't go into a whole myriad of things. But it's all because Jesus paid our certificate of debt that we could not pay before God the Father. He was and always will be and is the perfect sacrifice before a holy God. He paid your debt and my debt. C.H. Spurgeon one of the greatest preachers, he's been known as the Prince of Preachers. He had a hard time in his life, but I won't go into all that. He said this about the word tetelestai. He says, tetelestai is an ocean of meaning and a drop of language, a mere drop. It would need all the other words that ever were spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. 
It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is finished is the most charming note in all of Calvary's music. The fire has passed upon the lamb. He has borne the whole of the wrath that was due to his people. This is the royal dish of the feast of love. So you see, we don't rest on our deeds or anything that we've done, but we rest in God's grace and what Jesus has done. Let us never forget that. Sometimes we get the big head. We forget who it's really all about. It's about Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And when that day of judgment comes, we can stand in boldness before God. In our own works? No, but based on Jesus' love. How could we possibly do this? How could we do this? If Jesus' love has been matured in us, then we can stand before a holy God saying, not me, Lord, but the Lamb. How good is that? But John doesn't stop there. What is the test for this love? He says, and he has that word, as he is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. As he is, let's break that down, as he is. You know, that is present tense. John didn't say as he was or as he will be. He said as he is. As he is. Full of love. Full of compassion. Full of mercy to those that are being saved. So are we in this world. You know, there's an old saying that says, you are the most of heaven a sinner will ever see because they're on their way to hell. Can you say you're a good mirror of God's grace and love? You know, if you want to explore that mirror issue, you got to listen to last week's sermon. It's on the website at fbcmen.org. That was a sermon all based on that. Right before these particular verses, we're going verse by verse. John then tells us that there is no fear in love because perfect. Now that word perfect there means mature love has cast out all fear. How does that happen? How is fear cast out? Well, if we're mature in our relationship with God and we know we are standing on what he has done and continues to do in us. And that is in us on a daily basis, then we have nothing to fear. That is when we stand before a holy God. Why? He tells us because fear is based on an expectation of punishment. And since we know Jesus has taken our punishment and his will is being walked out in love in our lives, then we have no reason to fear on that day. We're not waiting for the belt to come, as it were. Because Jesus took the whipping for us. And it was a lot more than a whipping. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to do, to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
Because of this, folks, I don't fear death. Oh, I fear how I'm going to die, but I don't fear death itself. You see, I don't personally like pain. I'm going to admit something. I'm a wimp when it comes to pain. I don't like it, I don't want it, and I want to stay away from it. So my prayer, my hope, is that, Lord, you take me in my sleep and I never know what happened. Close my eyes and wake up in glory. There are so many ways we can go, and that's the way I prefer. All because I'm a weakling. But I do know this, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And it is appointed for men to die. It is appointed for men to die. Once. One time. You are not reincarnated. But after this, the judgment... So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who are eagerly waiting for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. To the person who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, they've got something to fear. They really do on their day of judgment. Why? Because they have no hope in this world. Because they have no hope that their works aren't good enough. You see, when they take their goodness and they put it against your goodness, they may be better than you are. But when you take their goodness and you put it against a good God, we don't compare at all. Scripture says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. But thank God I don't stand there by my works, but by the works of Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. He who is the second person of the Trinity and made the ultimate sacrifice that I might be justified before the Father on the day of judgment. Justified. Just if if, as I had never sinned. Just if I had never sinned. Justified before the Father on the day of judgment. And since we're speaking of the afterlife, let me share another little story with you. A Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida. Ta-da! kind of like some of our um, guests, decided to come to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned to stay at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of their hectic schedules, it was difficult for the couple to coordinate their travel plans. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday, while his wife planned to fly down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room. So he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left one letter out of her email address and sent the email without realizing it in error to someone else. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a Baptist minister who was called home to glory following a heart attack. The widow decided to check her email, expecting condolence messages from family and friends, But after reading her very first email, she screamed and fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room and found his mother on the floor and saw the computer screen, and it read this, to the two line, my loving wife, the subject line, I've just arrived today, and the message, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones gets better. Since I've just arrived, I thought I would send you an email. 
Everything has prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> oh, that's good. And the second thing we have to do is walk in his love. Walk in his love. First John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. When we were dead in our sins, we cannot love God perfectly. Did you know that? Because what we know of love, if you're dead in your sins, at that time in your life, is marred by sin. It is corrupted. It is not perfect. However, after our salvation and our regeneration by the Holy Spirit, we can then choose to love God. However, that ability is not even from ourselves, but it is a spiritual reality that comes from God Himself. He did it. Matthew twenty two thirty four says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they said, Hey, let's take our chance, right? See, I wouldn't have done that. They gathered together. And then one of them, a lawyer, of course it was, asked him a question, testing him and saying, I hope none of you are lawyers, by the way. Just going to throw that out there. Testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, without salvation and left to our own devices, we cannot do those two commandments perfectly. Again, the law shows me how sinful I truly am. Romans 5, chapter, six, or chapter 5, verse 6 says this, <clears throat> For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we see that with, without the reconciliation of God and man, we cannot even fathom that true love. A love that would die for his enemy. A supernatural love that not only dies to be reconciled, but dies that we might have life. True life and a living and a powerful God. This following story comes from the Gospel Herald. An older countryman was visiting London for the first time in his life, and he went into the, one of the great picture galleries to look around. He came to a wonderful painting of the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on that cross, and he stopped in front of it. And as he gazed at the picture, a great love for the one who hung there flooded his heart. Bless him, he said. I love him. I love him. 
Others in the gallery heard the old man's words and seeing the tears coming down his face. And as he stood beside the picture with his hat in his hand, forgetful of all else and anyone else, they were touched. And they stopped before the picture too. And then a stranger drew near to the old countryman and grasped his hand. And he said, I love him too, brother. Seeing what had taken place, a third stepped forward saying, so do I. Then a fourth joined them, and a fifth, until there stood before the picture of the Savior a little knot of men, perfect strangers to one another, but drawn together by the love of the Lord Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It's our job to lift him up. It's our job to share the love of what he's done with the world. And lastly, we have to test ourselves. Test yourself. 1 John four twenty and 21 says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. we had seen that a minute ago, but it, it goes here as well. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's the commandment. That is the commandment that John is talking about in these scriptures, in our main text. When he says that he who loves God must love his brother also. John, me, moved by the Holy Spirit, gave us a pretty simple test to see if we're in Christ or not. There is a problem with this test, however, and it's that it requires prayerful, humble self-examination by the person testing themselves. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you know what your biggest problem is today as it relates to our scripture? Humans are really good at self-deception. We really are. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, I was serving in a church. And a couple were going through a divorce, and she'd run off with another man. And they sat before the pastor, not the senior pastor, not me at this time. <clears throat> and they talked, and they talked, and they talked. And he said, yes, I understand what you're telling me. But the scripture says, you're not married, and you left your husband, and you have no biblical grounds to separate and divorce. And with that, the last thing she said was, but I love him. And she got up and she walked out. She rejected Jesus Christ and his scriptures. She rejected that. She had deceived herself enough that she walked away from the Lord. The question is, is was she ever a part of the Lord to begin with? I don't know. 
I don't know what happened after that meeting. I don't know if God brought her to a place that she went back with her husband or, or what she did. I've heard a lot of conjecture. I've heard a lot of rumor over the years. But I don't know. And you see, a heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know, a lot of people don't want to give up even their grudges. They want to stay hardened to the living God. You know what? God will leave you that way if you want. You know what else? If you've hardened your heart, you may bring judgment on yourself for not loving your brother. Did you know that? Do you not remember communion? I read it every time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. When you've got malice or hardness of heart against another Christian, and you take partake of holy communion, you bring judgment upon yourself. It is a serious thing. And that's just one example. And someone's saying, what are you talking about, Pastor? What do you mean? Real easy. It says you're not discerning the Lord's body. Are we as Christians not part of the body? The Scripture says we are. Some of us are eyes, some of us are hands, some of us are legs. I think I'm God's stomach sometimes. No, that's just my heartburn. Never mind. But it says you aren't discerning the Lord's body. Are you not part of the body? 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So what is the consequence of this not honoring the Lord's body? Well, sickness and even leading up to death. 1 Corinthians 11.30 for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. Did you know we're also commanded to test ourselves, to even see if we are in the faith, the fundamentals of Christianity? And that is salvation by grace through faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Examine yourselves, it says in 2 Corinthians. When's the last time you did that? I like how the New Living Translations, uh, translates this verse. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which, by the way, is hard to find anymore these days, but I'm sure you can. It says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. 
examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? Unless you fail the test. Sometimes we have to examine ourselves. Lord, where am I? Where do you need me to be? What do you need me to do? I am convinced that the number one reason Christians don't pray or don't pray properly or they feel like their prayers are hitting the ceiling is because they have not listed and confessed their sins to God. I know that's old-fashioned thinking, but that is the thinking that's in the Scripture. That's scriptural thinking. Gentlemen, Scripture says that with our wives, if we're you know, in an argument with our wives, it says, hey, God won't even hear your prayer. Get right. And that goes for everybody. If the Bible says if you know you have ought against another believer or they have ought against you, you're supposed to go to them and make it right. And if they will not hear you, take somebody with you. If they will not hear them, bring them to the church. And if they will not listen to the church, then cast them out. It's called church discipline. That's old-fashioned thinking. We don't want to cast anybody out. Hey, if they say they're not a Christian, they want to come to church, by all means come to church. That is for the believer, not the unbeliever. The believer has one thing to worry, or the unbeliever has one thing to worry about, and that is what will you do with Jesus? What are you going to do about it? And the believer really has one thing to worry about. Do I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul? And do I love my neighbor as myself? On this hang all the law and the prophets. You see, Christians have no need to fear God's judgment at the end. However, we are to test ourselves regularly to make sure that we are in His love. As the ladies come, where are you right now? Where's your relationship? Do you need to start a relationship? That's first and foremost. You need to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never met Him. You've never really given your heart and life over to Him. Oh, you said a prayer, but it wasn't here in the heart. Then you need to get right with Jesus right now. Secondly, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've become apathetic. Maybe your heart has become hardened. Maybe, just maybe, you're not loving your brother as yourself. Maybe you need to test yourself and examine yourself on a spiritual basis. Are you discerning the body of the Lord? The body of the Lord is the believers. Or maybe you think you're saved in that self-deception and you're not. If we would but test ourselves and confess our sins, 1 John 1.9 says He is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where are you in your walk today? As we stand and sing, examine yourself. Find out where you're at. If you'd like special prayer, I'm up here. If you'd like to join the church by letter, by statement, by baptism, I can do that too.